Welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter or two at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet from me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Good to see you this week. What beverage is uh, blessing you? Thank you. It's a chocolate martini. Ooh. Did you have that last week or a week before? I think two, two weeks. Yeah. 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 What do you have there? Very good. I'm still having white Russians, Caucasians, depending (laughs) on your context. Yeah. Again, almost the same drink, just the Kahlua versus chocolate. Uh, I'm going to get chocolate liqueur now. Yeah. And I, yeah, my big regret this evening was I put way too much half and half in. So it Mm. doesn't, it doesn't make for a good white Russian, but the good news is you get to have a lot of half and half. So uh, a friend of mine had just texted me a picture of himself having a half and half. All right. Good Lord. Having a half and half. You know, I like to have a nice half and half in the evening once in a while. Half vodka, half. Yeah. No, he, he had a, he was having a white Russian at a bar and I was like, all right, this is the time where uh, I got to make my drink before the episode. So I've got a little time here. I'm going to do a slow-mo video of the half and half being poured in. And it's a great video, let me tell you. Sent it to him to much to the intended effect. However, I went apparently completely nuts on that. Oh, <laughs> so man. Yeah. That's a good problem to have, like I say. Uh, <laughs> so we're talking this week about Matthew chapters 20 and 21. We're going to explore five different things. The first one is generosity and grace in 2015. That's not six years ago. That is, or seven, depending on when we publish this. Uh, it's chapter 20, verse 15. Then we've got the topic of drink versus cup in 2022. That is the year. Uh, ransom language in 2028. That's back to the verse. Praise versus blessed in 21.9. And I'm basically the whole spread of uh, 21, uh, what is it? Uh, 21, 21. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what you can be looking for if you haven't read it already. Uh, so if you haven't, please do. That's kind of the heart of this thing. So there's a link in the episode notes for Brandon's translation. And as always, check out the footnotes in that as well. It's, it's really helpful in understanding a lot of his thought process along the way. So Go ahead and give it a read. We'll take sips of our drink while you do that. (sighs) (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're going to start in the middle uh, of verse 20. Verse 15 with footnote H. We're looking at the word generous here. Brandon, could you read whatever context feels appropriate for you? Listeners, listen for the word generous in particular. Yeah. So this is in the middle of a parable and a guy who employing people and people are unhappy with, I was going to say the unfair wages, but the wages that are too fair, apparently. <laughs> um. So he says, I'm not mistreating you. Didn't you make an agreement with me for a denarius? Take yours and go. But I want to give this person who was hired last the same as you. 
am I not allowed to do what I want with what's mine? Or is your eye impaired with greed because I'm generous? In the same way, the first will be last and the last will be first. Yeah, this uh, footnote here, footnote H, is, is evocative. You say, generous here translating agathos, which was the word the rich young man used for good. What must I do to be? Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What good must I do? What good must I do to inherit the life of the age to come? Yeah. Uh, or ho- however you translate it. Or <laughs> right. <laughs> Eternal life. The, the age-long life. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Matthew 19:16. And which is translated uh, as healthy in Matthew 6.22. Those are three fairly distinct mm-hmm. notions there. What yeah. You, why was that worth putting into a footnote? Um, this comes back to what we've talked about several times from early on about the what we've called um, closed off language, this kind of black, white, like good, bad. So this is the one that a lot of translations will just do good. And over and over, every time it shows up, they do good. Mm-hmm. And it's the opposite of a couple of Greek words that end up getting translated either as bad or evil. Um, and my commitment being to not translate it as good, except for in Matthew 19, 16, um, because someone is using it in a closed off way. But my my commitment has been to to translate it based on the context as more whatever kind of positive thing is being in view specific to the context. So not just this broad, good. Um, but what are we talking about here? So in Matthew 6, 22, your eye is healthy. And I think and the reason I cited that example specifically is because of, I think there's a connection here. Um, he asks him, is your eye impaired? Is your eye evil or bad? Uh, is another way to translate that. Is it or diseased, unhealthy? And that's going back to the eye is healthy or the eye is unhealthy. The eye is good, mm-hmm. the eye is bad, connected with greed and uh, serving wealth as opposed to serving God um, back in Matthew 6. So that's why I cited that one specific example there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tra- I translate it a number of different ways based on the context. Generosity here felt especially appropriate. He's not making sure people are get a carefully calculated, oh, I have to pay minimum wage. They work six hours, so 16 times whatever minimum wage is. I have to give them that, so I guess I will. Uh, but I'd rather make more of a profit and pay them right, less, right, 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 as right. you know, most employers are want to do um instead he does the opposite and is like i want to make sure everyone has what they need so everybody regardless of what time they started working is going to get a full day's worth of pay because Hmm. they need to use it on their way home probably to buy dinner for their family that's that's kind of how that works in this case kind of cultures and before refrigeration and stuff where you did a whole grocery trip for like a week or two sure sure so he's trying to take care of people because he can. And that's, that is the life of the divine reign. That is following the path of justice. That is the good that leads to the age-long life. Because it needs to be good for the whole community, not just for yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah, so generous sort of enunciates this. It's a very economic mm-hmm. uh, parable. So it is if it's reasonable with the Greek, which I'm taking your word for here, yeah. to, to bend I would, it. I would summarize the word as beneficial in some way. And based on the context, how is it beneficial? In this case, generous. Generous, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, to just say, because I'm good is it's a bit flat mm-hmm. you know hey uh, hey because i'm a good guy am i a good guy yes i am a, it <laughs> right it's weird but specifically generous oh yeah okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it fits the context and then it started getting me thinking about generosity um then i went back and looked at chapter six which was the chapter where I started to really notice kind of this persistent overarching set of economic metaphors and themes um, that are throughout all of Matthew. And then I start looking at the rest of scripture. I'm like, Oh, it's, it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't taught to look for this, but, but it's all, it's there all, all sorts of places. Um, And sometimes the translation makes that harder to see. So I'm trying to help it be visible, but yeah, which made me do some thesaurus work looking for synonyms of things. And, and what I stumbled on was like grace mm-hmm. and generosity. And then realizing how the definitions, the possible definitions of generosity in English are overlap pretty closely with the definitions of grace there's this sense of goodwill. There's this sense of giving that has nothing to do with being earned by the recipients. Like it's, it's just, it's about the giver and did some exploring and, and charis, the word that's traditionally translated as grace um, in scripture doesn't show up much in, in Matthew. It's, it's pretty rare. I don't, may, maybe not even all, I don't know. I mean, yeah, um, in in really the synoptic tradition, it's not, it's just yeah. not a theme. I, I it may trickle around in the fourth gospel, but maybe, but real, yeah, it really becomes a theme for uh, Saint Paul. Yeah, which makes it is makes me start to think a little more, examine a little bit more closely. Maybe is a way to say it. Like, why is this word so important to Protestants if it's not even in the Jesus stories? And like, supposedly Jesus is the center of everything for us. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that the letters I mean, aren't it important. Is, it's, they are it's important, a li- It's a living but, tradition, and Jesus yeah. said people, we would do greater things than he. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's not to say that we because Jesus didn't talk about it, we should ignore it. No, Um but it's yeah. just, yeah, it's, it's worth examining, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I have been with how closely I realized it worked and have been, as I've been going through translating letters like Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians, um, it still works. It worked really well, in fact. Um, so I've started, we can, and we'll talk about this when we get to those books. Uh, but yeah, generous has been the words that I've been using for, or generosity for grace. Um, in those places because it it fits and and this was the passage where that clicked for me um Mm. oh that's cool 
So listeners, I think you just got a uh, sneak peek. Uh, if you happen to be reading recreationally or devotionally in uh, uh, any of the prison epistles or the, sh- the shorter Pauline letters, uh, which is what you've done, you've worked on so far. Hell, read any of Paul and just see if generosity or generous variants of that word click into place more helpfully, no matter what translation you're reading. And uh, we'd love to, I'd love to hear how that goes for folks. We're going to get dive into that sometime into 2022 when we get into those those books that you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next thing I wanted to hit on here is uh, verse 22. There's this question around historically it's the word it's like the language of drink of this cup, but you've got to swallow the drink. Can you just go ahead and read what you feel is helpful there? Mm-hmm. So say to the, say that these two sons of mine may sit with one on your right and one on your left as you reign, she said. You don't see what you're asking, Jesus responded. Can you swallow the drink I'm about to drink? We can, they answered. You certainly will drink what I drink, he told them. But the role of sitting on my right or my left is not mine to give. Rather, it's for those for whom it's been prepared by my father. Yeah, I had prepared this whole uh, oh my, I, I'm not sure I like this translation spiel. And then I looked at the notes you had for our conversation this evening and saw, you're not so sure either. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there are some clear echoes in the historic translation, the, the more literal translation of drink this cup. Yeah. Where are you at right now? Yeah, I, I think cup needs to show up in here somewhere. Um Going through this, it, like I was trying to make, we don't ever talk about drinking a cup. What, is, like, that's not a normal way to say that in English. So I'm trying to make these phrases like ex- how they would be said by an English speaker, accessible to people who aren't just used to hearing Bible speak, right, all the time. So you, you know, you take a drink of a drink, which is we kind of weird, honestly, when I think about it more directly like that but that's how we say it uh what are you drinking tonight the drink i have is a chocolate martini um i'm not talking about the cup i have contains you know it's this is my drink yeah um so that's why i I tried giving for me yeah (laughs) of course yeah uh i'm generous right um well and i mean those sorts of like in-house winks nods linguistic like mm-hmm. a, a footsie is is what the whole foot language is a or a foot good lord cup language is about right like this is this is playing literary footsie with <laughs> listeners it's well it is like there's this sort yeah. of like you know what's going on right like you know what i'm saying yeah, there's here some winking happening yeah like if we um. if we just stick with um if we if we step too far away from it, we're getting into a, what is more colloquially comfortable to us, right? Uh, but loses its connection to some fairly climactically climactic uh, verses in the Hebrew tradition, right? Which, when I translated this, I hadn't gotten to yet. 
Um, <laughs> so I didn't realize that I needed to like keep that in view. Oh yeah. Cause it's, it's more conspicuous in tw- Matthew 26. Right. 26 makes it really clear what the cup is. It's the cup of wrath. Um, if that's the language that we want to use, but it's, it's, it's referring to Isaiah 51 mm-hmm. there in 26 while Jesus is on the, at the Mount of Olives. <laughs> There's too many mounts. Um, yeah. A lot of things Gotham? happen on yeah. Mount of Olives. High points. Um, where he's like sweating blood and stuff and the disciples won't stay awake. That doesn't show up in this translation. Right. Yeah. The blood thing. Right. That's, that's later but it's referring to something besides just like what's about to happen in general. Like, no, this is a reference to Isaiah indicating that Jesus is, knows what, what is going to happen and its significance. Um, and that passage is in 26 is also connected with the last supper and the cup being poured out for many there um so it's there are so many connections and so i do think that this is referring to that same thematic cup so i think in the next draft of this it will have the word cup in there um i'll just have to figure out how to how to make that flow so to speak yeah yes yeah i mean this is a helpful window into just the sort of that balance between making sure you're capturing the peculiarity and particularity of a given phrase's place in this wider library. It's, it's not just a library of disparate books. It's mm. books that were thoughtfully, it's a, it's really a playlist. Ooh, I'm going to go with that. A mixtape? Like yeah. It's like a, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. It's a mixtape. Yeah. Uh, watch out star Lord. Uh, this is the history, <laughs> the OG mixtape. Uh, between that and like, well, what the shit does that mean? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, and then this third point that you've tried to hold throughout this translation of if things have by now become, not became in Jesus's day, but in our day, if it's become religious technical language, we're going to try, try something else. Yeah. Like those are all hard things to hold together. Right. Yeah. And it's honestly, it's still a work in progress. And I don't like have an easy, I don't have like a, a set of instructions, like everything I get to like, okay, how am I going to make it fit all these things? I'm just like trying stuff out and seeing how it works. Um, and sometimes I can figure out this works really well or not by myself. And sometimes it takes some conversation with you or another friend or yeah. coming back to it later. Um to recognize uh, this maybe didn't work as well as I thought it would, but (laughs) (laughs) great. Well, I think that uh, I think we've poured out everything we can from two words, one cup uh, on to verse 28, uh, which we're, we're looking at this, this whole language of Mm -hmm. usually it's as a ransom for many, but you've got as the price of freeing many enslaved people. Yeah. Please read. Yeah. All right. Uh, he said, Jesus says to his disciples, you see how the rulers of other peoples lord it over them and the important people control them. It will not be that way with you. Instead, 
Whichever of you wants to become important will take on the role of dedicated service toward the rest of you. And whichever of you wants to be most respected will take on the role of a worker enslaved to the rest of you. Just as the son of humanity did not come to be served, but to serve instead, and to give his life as the price of freeing many enslaved people. So this is a verse that's got a lot of historical baggage in oh yeah it's church tradition doesn't it yeah it's full of like historical contextual references to the time but also yeah lots of stuff throughout history of how it's been abused how it hasn't been followed the exact opposite keeps showing up over and over and over again in the church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the translation is often used like this ransom for many mm-hmm. used as, was it, was it Anselm that came up with the kind of ransom theory? Uh, Probably. My God, you guys are trusting us with scholarship. We can't even remember our atonement theory. Uh, uh, old dead European men. Uh, about the <laughs> about these matters so yeah there's this theory of well you know there was some sort of ancient bargain between jesus and the accuser this um evil counterpart satan the devil and uh, jesus had to pay the ransom like god couldn't rescue the hostages without bloodshed god said yeah okay i'll work with those terms and just uh kill myself slash my son it's complicated uh, mm-hmm. and and pay the blood ransom for all of humanity from the yeah. devil like he can't he can't beat the devil he's got to actually like yeah well that's one version of it and you're yeah i feel like you're being generous choosing that version <laughs> um because the other version that is actually what was taught in the tradition that i grew up in was that the devil is not the one that this ransom is being paid to. It was God. So God is somehow charging the ransom, holding the hostages and demanding the ransom and then killing his own son to pay the ransom to himself. Like debts can't be canceled. Even though this is in a tradition where he told his people, yo, every like 50 years, like a generation and change, all this debt shit's going to get reset hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's going to get hit even harder every about seven generations or 10. We're going to really make sure we just un F everything. Like debt yep. cancellations built into who you're supposed to be. That said, I've got this really complicated thing uh, that's a little schizophrenic where I actually have to kill myself slash one of you. It's really weird. Like <laughs> it's uh-huh. really ludicrous sounding, but it's uh, it was an attempt reverently to make sense of uh, a more long-standing way of understanding this verse, mm-hmm. and, and, and having to like there's a it, a dozen different ways of understanding broadly what God did through Jesus on the cross for the sake of humanity. Yeah, um, in, in fact, in, there's a book entitled. 50 reasons Jesus died on the cross or something like that. John oh, Piper. Man. So John, John Piper has identified 50. Yeah. You know, there's all 
all these different ways that this sacred mixtape describes what God did through Jesus on the cross for the world. And Ransom happens to be one of them, mm-hmm. but it's only one. But every, every one of them or every combination, permutation of them all had somebody somewhere in the, uh, the family tree that said, oh my goodness, this is the one. And we can build an mm-hmm. entire theology, a Christology, a human, an anthropology, every ology we can build mm-hmm. around this one metaphor, this one translation of a metaphor, which seems a little loaded. It seems like putting all right. of the eggs in one basket. Yeah, it reminds me of when we've talked about this book before, Unclean by Richard Beck. Um, Read it, everybody. He, he has a, a table in the in on a on one of the pages in there that just lists 30 different atonement metaphors atonement images which all show up in the scripture are all talking about what exactly it was that jesus was doing but only like three or four of those get routinely talked about by at least at least the tradition that i grew up with. yeah yeah we put like all of the weight of all of what scripture is trying to say on these like four things and then decided they're not metaphors that they're very literal somehow and ignore the rest of the metaphors or just kind of dismiss them saying they're metaphors for these other metaphors that aren't metaphors anymore. Instead of, gosh, it's like in some ways I'm less interested in what actually definitely happened. I am, I am. I have a lot of debt to underscore that point. Uh, I am interested. <laughs> and there's some sense in which, to me, the, the, the bigger insights of this plurality of metaphors to describe what, hap- what God did through Jesus on the cross for all of us, for everything. Um, it's almost as if all of our metaphors, all of our conundrums about what's going what what's wrong and what to do about it, find their yes in the crucified Christ. I think Romans says something about all of that, our, actually. All, yeah. all of our, yeah, we find mm-hmm. our yes in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it's not that complicated. Even if, even if some of these may be, this is weird to say out loud, but not objectively what's happening they are ways of a, a, each person, each part of a person trying to make sense of what's wrong and what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And the, the, this is the divine response to a modest myriad of ways of articulating that. Like it's, it's a response to, if not a fulfillment of mm-hmm. these things. It doesn't mean they're false. Any are more false or more true. It's just a way of saying, there's this really trippy sense in which the crucifixion yeah. speaks intimately to each one of them. Yeah. And if it were like really obvious to most people, you wouldn't need this many metaphors. This is something that doesn't like automatically make sense to most people. Mm-hmm. So we need a ton of different ways to talk about it, a ton of different ways to kind of come at it from different angles, to try to make a connection to what makes sense to this person or to that person 
or to help this person get this aspect of it or that aspect of it uh, because it's not normal. No. The normal way is what we we're just talking about a few couple, few sentences ago in this section of the r- normal rulers lord it over people and yeah. important people control them. That's the way most people think the world works. Yeah. Uh, that is how the world works. And we're trying to do, Jesus is trying to do something radically different. Yes. And that human beings learn by making connections with something they already know. Mm -hmm. So all of these images, all of these metaphors are trying to help people make connections from something they do understand to get them to a place that they don't yet understand. Subsidiary focal integration would be the Michael Polanyi term for that if, for all the epistemologists wow. out there yeah yeah dude uh, esther like at meek loving to know is one of the best books you could read it's all about it anyway uh <laughs> <laughs> we just hit a new level of nerd um uh, yeah, I think, and i love it yeah i blacked out where am i uh, <laughs> that was satisfying yeah so yeah. you okay we've we've sufficiently said We've set, we've set the stage here. Yeah, we've, yeah. We've, we've put a, a long lot time. of set pieces on here. Yeah. It's time for, yeah. So you, you went with, uh, as the price of freeing many enslaved people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a lot of those words come all from one Greek word. So traditionally it's as a ransom for many. Um, and I think that might just be two words, um, ransom and many um, in the Greek. But looking into that word that is had traditionally been ransom, uh-huh. there's a lot involved in that word. A lot of historical context that original audiences would have known what that word means. But us, you know, 21st century American English speakers don't have that context. So we need a we need a little bit longer phrase to help us get a little bit of context. And even that may not quite get us there, but I'm but it helps. Um, so it really is like, it's the, essentially the word is the price for buying a slave. So imagine going to a slave auction and bidding and whatever price you win to, to own that other human being somehow, which side note, I once was trying to tell my daughter who's now 10, this was a couple of years ago. So she's probably like eight or something, what a slave was. And I said something about it being a person that you own. And she just looked at me really confused. Like, how can you own a person? And I was like, that's a really good question. You can't like, thank you for, thank you for thinking that's confusing. Cause it is. Um, anyway, end of side note. Um, uh, good for her for being that plain spoken about it. Yeah. 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 This is a ridiculous and sickeningly widespread phenomenon in human history Um, yeah that it's a great there's a very helpful uh, linguistic shift afoot of instead of using the word slaves talking about enslaved people yeah yeah because these are that's not who someone is someone can't be a slave that has like my daughter understands that's not a, a thing a person can somehow like inherently be Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so you've chosen enslaved people here. Like another variant would be like trafficked people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's the, what this word is talking about. The, the, the amount of money you have to give someone in order to claim ownership of another human being. And it's clear that when Jesus purchases people, his very next step is to free them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that shows up all over the place. So, but that's his prerogative as the, as far as the system is concerned, the owner, he can do whatever he wants, including freeing them. So his, to give his life as the price of freeing enslaved people is what this word that's traditionally translated ransom means. The price of freeing enslaved people or the price of purchasing and, and then freeing enslaved people. That just changes to me. It it felt like a really significant moment in my translation work. It it Hmm. felt like it really shifted how I understood what was happening here. Um, Because another word that gets used instead of ransom is often redeem, which I've always assumed was referring to the kinsman redeemer from Torah and the book of Ruth. Yeah. That's Um, certainly what I heard in seminary. Yeah. Which is not a bad connection but I don't think that's what it's talking about here. It's not talking about like reclaiming people from the family to give them their back, their place. Although that is something certainly that Jesus would approve of. And the church is supposed to be doing, but that's not this word. Hmm. This word is specifically about slave auctions. That is an image from the stories and memories of Jesus's ancestors mm-hmm. that is not hard to reach for at all. Mm-hmm. It is a foundational story to be brought out of slavery. So it's very strange to come up with a cosmic myth. They come up with a cosmic cash register or something like that, where there's some sort of exchange happening mm-hmm. or, or the, I mean, ransom, like to think of the negotiator, you know, to get the, right. get the people the out of the bank. Right. Yeah. yeah. Man, it's not that complicated. Like God isn't schizophrenic. God is, God is many and one and not schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. And God is not beholden to violence. God does not need violence to be God, to be forgiving, to be Christ-like. So we can just rule at at the level of that. If you take for, if you take uh, a priori, this assumption that Jesus fully reveals the character of God, God is always Christ-like. We know that the uh, theologies of the cross that emphasize the historic translation of this verse, we just know they're horse shit. Because it makes God antichrist. Mm-hmm. It may, I'm going to say that again. It Please makes do. God antichrist, which mm-hmm. is generally frowned upon. Yeah. Or should it, be. Yeah. It puts God in the place of the adversary. You know, that seems to be a theme <laughs> in our mm-hmm. conversations is don't confuse God and, and the adversary. Yeah. Yeah. But your translation is just like, well, you know, you could you could elaborate on this if you want to, but I'm just kind of like saying, hey, God's in the business of de-enslaving enslaved people and making them freed people. 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of the thing God does. Yeah. I show God... quite a bit in Galatians again. Yeah. 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 Speaking of where you're at now. That's where I'm um, working on now. Yeah. And that God's willing to suffer for that. God's willing mm-hmm. to suffer to get you out of where you're at, to get creation out of the dead end. It's in to get his people out of the dead end. They were in God will set up camp in the dead end. That makes plenty more sense. It aligns with what we what they already knew to be true of God mm-hmm. and elaborates on it without like all this other weird shit. Yeah, I'm really digging this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's do a little a short one here, jumping into the middle of chapter 21, verse 9. So in verse 9, there's this quote from one of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And you actually chose to like hyper Hebrewize this with a helpful yeah. footnote. Yeah. Would you read the verse and then tell us about it? Sure. Yeah. The, so this, the context is that Jesus is showing up in Jerusalem. This is kind of the beginning of the climax of, of Matthew here. Um, so he's riding in on a donkey and starting in verse eight. A huge crowd of people spread out their own cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. The crowd was proceeding ahead of him and following behind and shouting. And here's where the psalm quote comes from, comes in. Hoshana with David's heir. Praised be the one who comes representing the Lord. Hoshana, one who is in the highest places. So I've I've done so Hoshana should catch your attention as that's not an English word or English words. Um, Cause it's not, it's Hebrew. Um, and typically when I've come to other words like Satana and Diabolon, I've insisted on translating them and not just putting them into English letters. So instead of saying Satan, I've said adversary. Instead of Diabolon to devil, I've said false accuser. Um, And that felt really important to do. Consequential. Um, Yeah, it it makes a real impact, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And here, I could do that. I I could have it be save, please, with David's heir. That's essentially what Hoshana means and that would be fine i chose to go with putting it in the footnote instead because traditionally it is also not translated but also not in the hebrew it's translated as hosanna which is taking the hebrew words into greek letters and then taking the greek letters and put it just making them into english letters and then like there's so many versions of like just moving into new letters that we lose the sense of what is this saying yeah and it become somehow hosanna has become a technical term mm-hmm. though no one knows seems to know what that actually means and people usually think it means something more along the lines of like hallelujah or praise the lord um but it doesn't um it's it's a plea a plea to rescue from oppression from the slavery from save us please like this the 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 na is this emphatic plea so i chose to 
connect it with the Hebrew instead and put it because so much has been done to erase the Hebrew origins of all this stuff and, and then put in the footnote what this is actually saying in the Hebrew and how it comes from Psalm 118 here. Yeah. And then there's more in this that we have noted as being worth talking about. So the second line, the first line is Hoshana and the third line starts with Hoshana. Um, but the second line in my work here says praised, praised be the one who comes representing the Lord. And it's worth looking at the Hebrew and the Greek for this one too, since it is quoting a Hebrew scripture. Uh-huh. Um, in the Greek, well, let's, let's, let's start with English. Typically, traditionally, this is blessed. But there is a couple of different words from Greek that end up getting translated blessed, but we have no way of knowing that as an English speaker, reading English translations, that those are not the same word. Um, so the Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are yeah. the meek, you know, as, as the traditional translations for those, because I have them so ingrained in my mind that I can't even think of my own work here. Those and I translated that kind of blessed. Makarios is the Greek word there as gratified. Because it has this sense of an emotionally grateful response to receiving some beneficial thing that has been given, essentially. And this word is not that word. This is eulogia, which is a compound word, you for good or well, and logia for something spoken. So the eulogia is to is something a blessing in the sense of something so, so, uh, to speak well of someone, to praise someone, to wish someone well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be to praise or wish someone well, kind of holding both of those possible meanings in it. That's what it is here in the Greek is the eulogia. Uh, praised be the one who comes representing the Lord. But then going back to Hebrew, it's Barak. There's a character in the book of Jeremiah who is Jeremiah's assistant, assistant prophet or assistant to the regional prophet. Assistant to the regional prophet. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, whose name was Baruch, which is like a form of this word Barak. So blessing, praising. Um, and in that that word is literally originally from the word for kneel, essentially to like come to your knees in awe and adoration of the person that you're paying attention to here. Hmm, that's an interesting phrase. Okay, so that that's what's in view here. Um, but I, I feel like blessed just gets so overused and has these multiple different things that are unrelated that it's somehow talking about that it has become a useless word and i think being more specific being more clear as to what we're talking about gets to be important yeah yeah some of these words get used so liberally that they well yeah they really do become a sound they just become Mm -hmm. gibberish they mean so many different things that they mean nothing and that's not in like right that's not in the like cool hebrew sense in which like hebrew words are just myriad you hold it up to light the light of the day that you live in 
and like a new meaning comes out of it. Like that's the cool magic mm-hmm. of, of Hebrew, both yeah. Hebrew culture and language. Yeah, he, this this is like the dead ending of language. It's not the like everlasting new life. There's a, always a moreness to the words. This is like mm-hmm. the uh, okay, we've we've pounded this shit into the ground. Yeah, it's like the heat death of the universe. That's of a it. Word. it. It's the heat death of a word. Um, like, is does a word ultimately die, uh, or does it oh is it perpetually born again? And that's the Hebrew versus the world question. Uh, and so you're you're just saying, well, let's go ahead and try something else, which is, a, you know, seems seems fair given you're talking to a bunch of Hebrew speaking folks. Mm-hmm. All right, the last thing to explore this week is it's really just kind of a schmear of words in verse twenty one or so. Uh, so twenty one twenty one. We're specifically looking at the phrases of uh, faithfulness to the path. Yeah, let's just start there. It's there's just yeah, so let's much. Start with yeah, why, the why don't you yeah. give it a read and then we'll. Yeah, uh, to set some backstory, Jesus and his students are walking on a on a road on a path. Uh, same word in the Greek, uh, road and path. Um, and he gets hungry and wants a fig. Sees a fig tree, goes up to it even though it's fig season, there are no figs and he's not happy. He's angry. Yeah. So he touches it and it was like instantly withers. So they, the students, when the students saw it, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither in an instant? They wondered, honestly, Jesus answered them. I'm telling you, if you sustain faithfulness to the path and do not withdraw from it, not only will you do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. While sustaining faithfulness to the path, you will receive anything you request with prayer. Hmm. Yeah, faithfulness is not a word that I am used to hardly anywhere in the Christian scriptures. There's been such a strong emphasis on faith which Mm -hmm. which is usually what's here which is usually what's here Um, if you have if you have faith what is the usual translation faithfulness to the path if you sustain faithfulness to the path right yeah my my translation added to the to the path here Um, oh and and we'll we'll talk i'll talk about why i added that so it's Traditionally, something like more if you have faith and don't doubt, mm-hmm. not only what you'll do, what was done to the fig tree, but if you say to the mountain, yeah, be hastened to see you. So there's a lot of change in this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the conventional reading of it is, I mean, it sounds neat. Like, hey, if you just have if, if you believe God, if you really believe God, yeah. whatever that means, whatever faith means to you, yeah. whatever faith means to you. And there's like atonement, there's just a billion different ways of it. Then like really trippy things can happen mm-hmm. that are, if you want it hard enough, you can do magic. If you will it, dude, it is no dream. Theodore Herzl. If you build it, they will come. That's it. And if you say it, the mountain will go over there. Uh, 
which sounds cool, but I ain't ever seen any of that shit happen. Uh, so no. that's that's in some sense the first clue that like you are you have your experience gives you permission to at least raise an eyebrow and throw up some question marks. A question mark, like yeah. that, is a sacred response to this. Mm-hmm. To, to the way that you've conventionally heard it. Why do you feel like this is in, beyond that? Like, why is this constructively uh, a more faith? Well, faithful. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I hope it is. Yeah. Why do you hope? Best. Yeah. Um, this is one that took a lot of work and like talking to my other friend about it and like coming back and changing it. So this is actually like version three. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> of this, this I originally special did... edition. That's right. Because typically in Matthew anyway, I have been translating the Greek word pistis, which is what's here, as trust. And typically I think that does a decent job. But it's not the full meaning. I think the one good thing about faith is that it holds quite a bit of meaning. And I think part of the reason people, including me, don't like it is because the way it has been used, at least in the last couple of centuries, has been to abandon most of that richness and fullness of meaning that it can hold. Yeah, it whittles it down. Yeah. And I think it Pistis, anyway, whether you think the English word faith does or not, Pistis holds like three different kind of concepts in tension with each other, in relationship with each other. And they're always, I think all three are always in view. All right, walk us through these three. Um, Which Greek scholars, translator scholars may accuse me of falling prey to fallacies. because rightly they would remind us that words can have more than one meaning that are not related to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true. Like words that sound like well, meaning like this was done goodly, uh, a well, like where we get water or well, just as a word I say when I'm about to say something else you know there's like well killer word um, yeah yeah and, and they're all the same four letters the same sound but they have no semantic no definitional connection whatsoever so i am aware of that <laughs> and i think this is not that yes this is a word that carries these three three separate English concepts in tension in, in relationship with each other, but I Generative think they're, tension, yeah. they're so interrelated in the biblical mind, in the biblical way of thinking, that they just get to be one word that carries them all. Um, and that's trust, faithfulness, and allegiance. Ah. Uh. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this reciprocity between them. Mm-hmm. So 
someone has shown me that they are trustworthy by behaving in a way that builds that trust. Um, so I trust them. And because I'm in relationship with them, I'm also faithful to them and they can trust me. Um, and I have this loyalty, this allegiance to them, to the things that we're both dedicated to, which is how we built that trust in the first place. We're both faithful to values that we share. Yeah, yeah. And so we share an allegiance to each other. And all of those three things are always in mind, I think, when the word pistis shows up. And one of those three kind of core concepts may be what's being more highlighted, what's closer to the camera, like what's more sure. in view and the other two are more background, but they're always present, I think. So trying to figure out what to do with that. And I'm, and I'm not totally settled. So, so far I have chosen one of the three. In Matthew, most often it's been trust. In the Pauline letters, it's mostly been faithfulness um, and occasionally allegiance. Um, here, faithfulness, leaning heavily on allegiance in the background, like a, as a sec close second, I think, um, yeah. here made sense. Um, so that, that's what happened. The first pass through, I, did, I used trust. Mm-hmm. The second pass through, I try to allegiance, and it is my third pass through where I settle on faithfulness, and then kind of like a three B. I was like, ah, uh, faithfulness to what though? Uh, faithfulness to the path. Sure. And that's where to the path came from because it was just otherwise there's this there's just like this void of what are we talking about? Faithfulness to what? And I think it's like the easy answer would be, well, to God, of course, which is not wrong exactly, but I think it's this is a little bit more specific is to following a way of living that goes, that connects with this metaphor that keeps showing up through scripture and Matthew of walking a path that mm-hmm. represents that way of living, way of behaving, way of being in the world and interacting with it. Which is a much more embodied sense of what what Pistis should connote. It can't mm-hmm. just be sort of this passive uh, infinitive of trust where mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, lacking context or body. It's like, I take you at your word. Hey, if you take God at God's word, then mm-hmm. you can do cool things. Right. It, there's much more of a sense. Just to lean into the blind faith idea. Yeah, which is really toxic. Yeah. Uh, blind faith or faith meaning uh, intellectual assent, mm-hmm. separate from the affections, separate from being able to actually live it out. Uh, those are all woven together in biblical. Yeah faith in biblical pistis i can hear protestants everywhere cringing and screaming (laughs) that i used faithfulness here Um, because like you're making about about works um making what about works this isn't about like going to heaven when you die or whatever this is he's talking about a very specific situation Mm -hmm. of what can happen 
when you respond in a particular way. Yeah. Yeah. This is not about how you get to be right with God. Yeah. Like if you can, it's not, if you color within the lines, if you follow the rules, if you obey, but if you are faithful to God, if you stay engaged Mm-hmm. and are contending towards trust and allegiance yeah and faithfully doing the kinds of things that trusting god having an allegiance to the the way that god wants us to live leads you to behave then stuff starts happening it has an impact yeah yeah i mean just just to like shift over to the allegiance language you know if you how do you know someone has a, a rich allegiance to their country? Is it because they put they a flag be- on their truck bed, right? On their truck bed and on their lapel, and mm-hmm. they say the right things with their hands over their heart, and they perform the appropriate pageantry is a very flat notion of allegiance. So mm-hmm. it's possible for people to, let's Which, say... I say that tongue-in-cheek because it's not the kind of thing people in my circles would do but equivalent of something that i have done would be like wearing tons of christian puns on Uh, (laughs) t-shirts over half my wardrobe in middle school was christian t-shirts this is this puns wow yeah stuff like jesus saved the whole world with both hands tied behind his back um oh for yeah Go, I was really excited about that one. Go and sin no more. Yeah. Go and Things stop. like the Pepsi logo, but instead of the word Pepsi, there's the word Jesus. Boy, that'll win them. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, the, the only Christian t-shirt I had around that age was the uh, Jesus fish eating the Darwin fish. And I thought oh. I was so gangster. And my mom later told me she just like, cringed every no, time I'm, i walked I'm out the proud door of your mom yeah 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 and i don't think i've ever seen that on a shirt i've seen it on cars all, all over the place but i i either got it at a young earth creationism event at the nazarene church in beaverton or or maybe at jesus northwest 1997 yeah <laughs> okay which was the last jesus northwest because oh, it sure was because when the uh, crowds cleared after Newsboys, there were seven people on the field with injuries. Apparently, oh some of them spinal. After the Newsboys, like I could see I if know. it were uh, like Plank Eye the played the, or Plank Eye or something. Plank Eye but... played the day before, and I was like towards the back of the crowd and was like, ha, 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 "I'm a middle schooler. I'm getting away from this." Wow. I, yeah. I, uh, I am surprised that that happened during Newsboy specifically. But. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that they they opened to the Imperial March uh, by the oh, Empire gosh. from the Empire Strikes Back. Bum, 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 uh, uh-huh. And I don't know why they did that, but it was awesome to hear that loudly. Uh, and apparently everybody went full Empire and hurt one another. And that's a. I mean, that is what Empire does, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But it's possible to, so to get back to this like language of allegiance, it's possible to do uh, the pageantry of allegiance, 
but which is a purely like, I guess that's the parallel to a sort of cognitive sense. Like, oh yeah, I'm an American. I, I do the thing that has no cost or consequence um, to prove my Americanness. And I can actually do that and also be having, let's say, secret meetings with, uh, with nationals of a country that has malign intent towards our country mm-hmm. uh, and uh, build our foreign policy, particularly towards that country around those meetings. Hypothetically, if this were 2016, that might happen. Um, and we would still say yeah. that they have a, an allegiance to a, a healthy allegiance because yeah. they did the pageantry. And the allegiance that Jesus is, that, that, that part of the trifecta around this word pistis here is, no, no, you can't collude with an evil empire. You don't collude with, you don't play along with um, malign characters. But if you like uh, genuflect conspicuously enough, it's all good. If you cry at the rail, if you... Um, lay down at the altar it it doesn't matter that's not what the, is being talked about here mm-hmm. yeah and what's one thing that you just said but that stood out to me was the the pageantry that has no cost mm-hmm. uh, highlight that no cost to you yes thank you because uh, it does cost other people i have a friend and, and co-worker who has to drive into particular areas to to see clients where there are lots of American flags being waved proudly and political signs aligned with a certain political leaning. Um, And she- listener understands. And she is married to another she and has a pride sticker on her bumper and oh. is afraid to drive into that neighborhood to see this client because specifically because of the American flags being flown, because she knows what kinds of values people who so flamboyantly fly lots of red, white, and blue tend to hold. Yeah. There's a certain sense in which it's code for a certain wider set of things yeah. that really has nothing to do with yeah. the promise the, the promise or the hope of america or whatever right. like it's just right yeah it's, it's been co-opted it's, it's a white by nationalist a subgroup right yeah and so she's she's genuinely physically afraid for her safety when she drives into that area mm-hmm. and i would connect that with you know again it's easy to like point to those other people who do that uh, i would venture to say that if she were about around a bunch of people wearing t-shirts that had Pepsi logos that said Jesus instead, like I used to wear, mm-hmm. it would be a very similar experience for her feeling legitimately in danger. And that's a problem. Yeah. These ba- badges of membership and belonging to use language that some folks who study Paul talk about like, can actually be like a badge of belonging can also be a badge of exclusion and violence. And mm-hmm. so we must always be 
presenting these badges of membership and allegiance um, well at the altar uh, at the rail and saying must this also be mortified must this also be crucified as well must this also be given as a ransom for many so faithfulness to the path (laughs) thank you (laughs) faithfulness to the path then like isn't about this pageantry isn't about these displays or or about a i guess i think the reason we sort of billowed out around all the pageantry stuff is it's not just about having a like a cognitive ascent is is, a, is another kind of pageantry like it's a it's a mm-hmm. reductive i checked all those boxes to to make sure that i fit in i i i raised my hands fast enough and loud enough at the right time on sunday to demonstrate my holiness mm-hmm. um like whatever sure it is that it's a, that's a flat people around me and god are not so mad at me that the, he then has to like murder his own son to satisfy yeah. his own anger. Yeah. Resolve the schizophrenic right, right. Um, anger. Faith doesn't mean this binary between a hyper cognitive faith and a hyper performative works is false. I would wager if you've made it this far into the, this conversation, <laughs> this podcast, you probably have a certain affinity for that, that conclusion anyway. But this is really just elaborating on that. that what God has brought together, let no human or e- human ego bring apart. So be it. And, and what I, I want to I end on this, what this is all about isn't, if you, it's not if you close your eyes in prayer, squeeze them hard enough and believe, then you can do this magic thing of throwing a mountain into the sea. Your footnote here really does say faithfulness to the path is about actually like it's clearly a coded phrase, not clearly, it's plausibly a coded phrase for something else going on apropos to what we're talking about with faith, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's there's this sense of it's not about intellectual assent. Yes, I've checked the right doctrine boxes. I, I believe this and this and this are true. And it's also not even like I'm aligned with the right group mm-hmm. and therefore I'm okay because I fit in because I suppose you could take allegiance in that pageant pageantry direction, you know, that surface level, like I'm just like not on the wrong side of the fence here. Yeah. Um, but it really is the sense of I've heard, I've seen what Jesus has to say I've, and what Jesus is doing, which makes me think back chapters earlier when people like John, the, bap- the baptizer, is asking, like, are you the one? I, th- I thought you were the one. Are, are, are you actually the one? And Jesus is like, well, have you seen what I've been doing? <laughs> that's their answer. Like, okay, I can trust that you're the one to connect myself with because I've seen the good things. I've seen the, the benefit, the, the, the wellness, the peace, the connectedness, the unity, the just like all the, like the dream that your way of being shapes for everyone you come in contact with. Okay. I can trust that. And I can be faithful 
to participate in that and help that grow even more and be spread to yet more people. Yeah. And I'm committed to that. Mm. And that's where the allegiance comes in. I am committed to joining your efforts to creating that kind of world for everyone around me and experiencing mm. it myself because that's now the world that we've created. And that's what this world word is. And all the other like checking the right doctrines or like saying the right phrase so that I go to heaven when I die or believing things without any kind of evidence because the authorities told me to, um, which is a direct contradiction of stuff that we've talked about earlier in this very chapter uh, um, or in this very episode in the chapter before. Like none of that has anything to do with pistis, but no. that often gets connected with faith. And I think that's why faith needs to be thrown out. Um, not because it really means anything bad, but because it's, it has way too many really terrible and damaging connotations that people have picked up over time. Because the real word is deep and powerful. Yes. yes. And has all this stuff that shapes our reality if we let it and if we choose it and if we share it thank you as always for listening to this conversation we are grateful that you are exploring this path trying to figure out how to be faithful to it along with us now, the easiest way to support Founding Translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice. That makes it easier for more people to find the show. Second best way to support the show is to become a sponsor for as little as five bucks a month. When you do that, you get comment access on the Translation's Google Doc and the satisfaction that you're supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find the link to join the community in the episode notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on unceded Chinook land. Goodbye, Brandon. Bye, Brandon. <laughs>